You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet. Coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 268 of this podcast. Today is Friday, December 3rd. I almost said November, but it's no longer November. It's December 3rd, 2021. 1232021. Today I want to talk about the comments I've been getting from my new co-workers. I just recently started a new job with Eagle Automation here closer to the front range, much closer to Greeley than I had been for the past two and a quarter years previous to that. And you have the same kinds of conversations when you start working with a lot of new people. You have the same conversations over and over again, or at least I do. Where were you before this? Where do you live? Where are you from? Are you married? Do you have kids? And then, of course, when I answer that last question in particular, there are a host of other questions and comments which come predictably, reliably, without fail. There are maybe a few exceptions so far. One in ten, two in ten, where someone has asked me, don't you know how that happens? I don't know how you do it, they might say. They might guess that we're either Catholic or we're Mormon. But after they ask the question of, do you have any kids? And I tell them, yep. And I hold up my fingers. I've stopped even just saying, I just hold up my fingers and I let them count for a second And then they have their eyes go big and maybe once or twice in 10 times, they'll say, wow, that's great. But nine or eight out of 10 times, the other nine or eight out of 10 times, the response is, wow, that's crazy. No way. You have seven kids? And it's almost as if somebody circulated a script. They're all reading from a script in their heads. But that script is culture. That script is the zeitgeist, the spirit of this age. That script is our popularly held ideas and notions and attitudes about having children, about getting married, about the purpose of marriage, about the purpose of family, about the purpose of life, for that matter. And I'll confess, sometimes it is difficult for me to know how best to respond when someone says, wow, that's crazy. Don't you know how that happens? Are you guys done yet? Are you done yet? That one comes up a lot. Or you have enough for a fill-in-the-blank team. You almost have enough for a baseball team. You do have enough for a baseball team. You almost have enough for a basketball team. You do have enough for a basketball team. 
what are you going for a football team? Like everything's in relation to sports analogies. But here's the funny thing. If this is a sports analogy, don't you play to get more points on the scoreboard. Don't you play because you want to win. If you're going to talk about sports, okay, maybe I've got enough for a team, but maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's not silly. Maybe that's not ridiculous. Maybe we need more people with a team player mindset in the right way. Not a team player like you go along to get along with things that are unethical, things that are sketchy, things that are dubious. You just keep your head down, keep moving forward, do what's expected of you, play the role of a cog in the machine uncritically so that you can get home in one piece with your job intact, your reputation intact, play your video games, watch your movies, watch your TV shows, eat your favorite foods, go to bed, wake up, do it all over again. Maybe maybe what kinds of teams we need more of and will need more of in the future are the teams where people are used to living with folks who think differently, who have different motives, who have different ambitions, who need encouragement, who need forgiveness, who need love, who need support, who need help. That's part of what comes with the territory of family, or at least a healthy family, as God intended. A healthy family, everybody's not talking over each other all the time, cutting each other down all the time, picking on each other all the time, looking for ways to complain about each other all the time. In a healthy family, you look for ways to build each other up. I want to see you succeed because your family, because when you succeed, we succeed. That's a healthy family. That's a healthy team. And team players who play like that day in, day out, all through childhood, are going to grow up with a little bit of a different perspective once they enter real life, as it's called, as it's popularly known. If someone has one kiddo and that kiddo grows up being an only child, yes, they might play on sports teams. They might learn the importance of working with others, getting along with others, how to do that somewhere else besides home. But it is something that you switch on and off when you learn it somewhere else besides home. When you learn it at home because you come from a big family, because you're maybe the father or mother of a big family, you don't get to turn it off and turn it on. Or if you do get to hit the pause button every now and then to catch a breather, collect your wits, regroup, you're hitting pause and that's the exception rather than the rule. But no, we're not Catholic or Mormon. We're Christians. And I think it's interesting that there seems not to be a well-developed ethic regarding having children in other traditions, in other Christian 
or pseudo-Christian traditions like there is for Catholics and Mormons. I don't regard Mormons as Christians, by the way. I think their theology, the definition of their terms, excludes welcoming them in as brothers in the Lord, sisters in the Lord. As nice as they are, I bear them no ill will. In fact, most every Mormon I've ever met, I got along great with. Clean living, moral, upright, pleasant, hardworking people that they are. But that doesn't mean they're Christians. They'll talk about Jesus. They'll talk about the Bible. Once you get into what do they actually believe about who Jesus was and is and always will be, what do they believe about the Bible? We're not on the same page. Same also, I've known a lot of Catholics who were friends of mine, who I loved dearly, who I respect. But I also disagree in a meaningful way with their theology, with their approach to tradition relative what God's infallible word says. So, no, we're not Catholic and we're not Mormon. But why is it so surprising to people that we are Christians? Just Christians. And we believe these things. I think why that's surprising has a lot to do with how the American church has developed the traditions that have developed in Protestant evangelical Christianity in America. And by God's grace, my wife and I decided early on, here is our attitude, here is our calling, here is our conviction with regards to having children. And quite frankly, if our example and the way we articulate our mindset on this If it influences the mainstream and it serves as an example, that's great. That wasn't our first goal. We're not trying to change everybody's minds. We're not trying to change the world in terms of what everybody else believes. But we also don't want to give in to whatever everybody else thinks. And so you have to be able to articulate why it is that you're doing what you're doing when somebody asks. And to be fair to my new coworkers, my new associates with Equal Automation, and I haven't met anyone with Chevron proper just yet. It's all been fellow contractors, fellow third party. But everyone I'm working with now who does not necessarily subscribe to faith in Christ, a high view of God's word. Why should I expect that they're going to have a biblical view of having children, a biblical attitude towards having children? Why shouldn't they be surprised that I have seven children? And yet, at the same time, it is an interesting place to be in when that is one of the first questions that people 
ask you as they meet you. Or in some cases where there's multiple people on site, I've had this conversation with this guy, and now he hollers over to this new person who's just arrived. Hey, Paul, you'll never believe how many kids Garrett has. Ask him how many kids he has. It's an interesting way to make first impressions. And I think swimming upstream, going against the grain, making our own way, and not following the well-worn paths of our culture right now, I don't want to give the impression that we have a big family because we want everybody's attention, if that makes sense. I don't want to give the impression that we had all of these children because the circus has come to town. Step right up, come one, come all, check it out. That is not the goal. In fact, with a number of these young guys, these young bucks, who are not so much younger than I am, but younger enough than I am, I might prefer we just talk about work if you're going to make snarky comments about my family size, my virility, how well my systems work. I might prefer we talk about something else because this is a little awkward. How about let's talk about work? Make work your new favorite. (laughs) And yet... you. At the same time, you can't avoid explaining. I mean, the question is going to come up, why, right? They'll volunteer the low-hanging fruit guess. Let me guess, you guys are either Catholic or you're Mormon. No, nope, Eh. wrong. You might say our view on having children is close to the Roman Catholic view, but it's not that we're Catholic and we didn't get it from Catholicism and we weren't persuaded by Catholicism. We were persuaded by God's word, which is where the Roman Catholic teaching on this should have come from originally. If you trace it back, it's where it should come from. But of course, if those guesses fall flat, you're either Catholic or you're Mormon. Nope, nope then you have to give some kind of other explanation. And it is an opportunity to give a testimony, but you don't want to make it weird either. You don't want to make it awkward. I'm not doing evangelism primarily through my family size as I see it. My intention is not to preach the gospel of having big families. The order of operations, just like in math, PEMDAS, right? parentheses, addition, no. I'm sorry, I'm off to a bad start already. Parentheses, exponents, multiplication, addition. No, multiplication, division, addition, subtraction. Parentheses, yeah, yes, that's the order of operations. See, and and we do that, I think, with 
other side issues where if you don't slow down a little bit, if you just jump in, you can get the letters out of whack. Is it parentheses and then multiplication and then addition? No, it's not. P-E-M-D-A-S. Parentheses, exponents, multiplication, division, addition, subtraction. The parentheses in this case, as a Christian, is God as creator. The doctrine of creation is central, or at least it's primary. In the beginning, God created. That is how God's word starts out. And that's the logical beginning to our understanding of the Christian faith, of ourselves, of who God is. Who is God? First and foremost, God is the creator who existed before creation, who is eternal. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Four words get us started off on the right foot. Or without those four words, if you fundamentally alter any of those four words, you will arrive at very different conclusions about things. So if you have an evolutionary worldview where the letters are out of whack or you're missing some letters in the order of operations entirely, you're going to arrive at different conclusions. You're going to arrive at a different answer to the problem. Whatever the math is that you're trying to do, it will not match. In the beginning, God. God is the creator. God creates everything that exists. And the cherry on top, as it were, was creating Adam and then Eve. And even there, the order of operations is very important. The New Testament authors allude to this. Paul, the apostle, alludes to this. It was not accidental. It was not a mistake. It was not an oversight. It was not clumsiness on God's part that he created Adam first and then Eve. He created man in his image. Male and female he created them, but he created male first. And then he created female. He created Eve to be a helper for Adam. God is not an egalitarian deity. The creator God of the Bible is not an egalitarian deity. So God creates Adam. He puts him in the garden. He sets him to work naming the animals. He's there to keep the garden. He's there to tend the garden. And when God creates Eve, because he sees that it's not good that man should be alone, he's going to make a help meet suitable for him. The first positive command is be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So God creates these image bearers who reflect his person, acting as a kind of regent in God's creation. And he creates this picture of himself. God's made a self-portrait, if you will, in man. And that's part of the ugliness of sin is that God is holy and when we sin, we are marring that self-portrait of God's. We are messing with something that rightfully belongs to him. That's why all sin is ultimately a sin against God, first and foremost. We're not first and foremost sinning against one another when we sin. We're first and foremost sinning against God because all things are from him and they belong to him and they're for him. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. 
the excitement that Adam feels when he first meets Eve is a part of this. Now, at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And he names her Eve. Adam names Eve as a further way of symbolically and ritually and effectively exercising authority under God, proper, rightful authority, not a result of systemic oppression. The patriarchy is not a bad thing. I am totally for the patriarchy. I'm not for everything that people might do in a patriarchal system because man, male men have a sinful nature and are affected by the effects of the fall and sin and corruption. But by God's grace, that can be rehabilitated. That can be restored. And we shouldn't reject God's design and plan for marriage or for parenting or for work or for community just because those things can be corrupted. When God looked at creation after creating man in his image, he said that it was very good. And look at the command to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. There's a little bit of uncomfortability I have with leading with that foot. When people ask, why do you have so many children? Because I don't want to give the impression that we read this command and we have just been a slave to it. Like we're self-righteous, like we're legalistic. We see this command there. It's, okay, well, I guess that's what we got to do. I don't want to have children, but we just got to because God said we have to. No, because God's word reframes the attitude that we have towards having children. However many children, however few children we have, God's word must, if we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind in God's word, our attitude towards children, our expectations about having children, and the prescription for how to manage the role of a parent, how to manage your marriage, how to manage your home, all of that is fundamentally affected, altered by reading God's word by the order of operations in God's word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. God saw that it was not good that the man should be alone. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So we do this thing, right? We have these children. And for those new associates, new co-workers I have, we're a little bit more thoughtful about these things. I'll explain. We want to be content, however many children the good Lord blesses us with, and we want to be good stewards of however many children the good Lord blesses us with. If he gives us no children at the beginning of our marriage, then so be it. Amen. Let it be. If he gives us one or two, and that's it. Well then, praise God. If he gives us 20, then so be it. If God desires for us to have 20 children, so be it. Now, I don't believe, 
at this point, at this juncture, at this rate, that God is going to give us 20 children. And yet, if he gives us 10, and they all get married, and we regard our daughters-in-law in particular, and at this point, at this rate, we'll only have one son-in-law. But if we regard them as our children as well, once they've married into the family, well, then we will have 20 children, just like we always joked. And then those children beget children, and we have grandchildren. And our perspective on what we're doing and why we're doing it and where this is going and how we're going to do it is changed. I don't know how you do it. I hear that one often. You know, guy I just met, some days I don't know how I do it either. I'll be honest with you. Some days we are just tired to beat all. And you know what? That's all right. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with being tired? Wouldn't it be a sad thing to go through life never being tired, never having spent yourself, never having invested yourself? Isn't that kind of nihilistic? Isn't that kind of a depressing way to live your life? Sometimes I'm very, very tired. And you know what that tells me? At least sometimes. Sometimes that tells me I've invested myself in a meaningful way. And there's a limit and you've got to be able to rest. And sometimes we're tired because we have a bad attitude. And we weren't necessarily investing ourselves in all the things that we ought to ought to have invested ourselves in. Maybe we were spreading ourselves too thin, not prioritizing. Maybe there was some hubris there. We think we can do too much. But I don't know how you do it. Do I tell you? Should I tell you how we do it? We wait on the Lord. The Lord gives us strength. That's how we do it. When we do it. When we do it well. When we... When we're humming along by God's grace, we do it because we wait on the Lord and the Lord provides. He hasn't failed us yet. We have failed on a regular basis. We have come up short on a regular basis. We've made boneheaded decisions, said boneheaded things, missed opportunities. But God is faithful. And by God's grace, we're trying to honor him and we trust the promise that we read in God's word that God will bless our desire and our effort to be faithful, to persevere, to acknowledge him in all our ways. Yes, we know how this happens. We know how it happens that we have so many children. Do you know how it happens? You've got one or two. Do you, do you know how it happens? I could tell you. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be really, really awkward. There's this funny, unexamined presumption in the question. And it's a joke, and I know it's a joke, and they don't mean anything by it. They don't mean to be rude or uncomfortable or awkward or anything. But there's a kind of insinuation that you're stupid. What, are you stupid or something? Why would you have that many kids? That's dumb. That's stupid. 
That's crazy. What a waste of life. Think of all the fun things that you're not doing because you've got these kids. No, no. I came back with this day before yesterday. I said, well, let me tell you. When you're old and you're ready to retire and Social Security is no longer a thing, it's completely insolvent, this guy has a plan. I have eight kids. My kids are a much better safety net than trusting that your retirement funds are going to be there however much you put away, especially with inflation and the craziness of the left wanting to redistribute everything. Try redistributing my kids. Just try it. That thought has not occurred to them. I am investing. I am putting away money for retirement, if you will. Think of it that way. That makes sense. But that makes sense because apart from God, our outlook is very short-sighted in this culture. Our perspective on family life is very self-absorbed. It's very self-centered. That's why so many people don't get married. That's why you have feminists complaining that the earth does not revolve around them when it comes to finding a quote-unquote good man. That's why you have so many cynical men who are complaining that they can't find a good woman. And don't start with me about all the justifications. It's a lot of cynicism. It's a lot of bitterness. There absolutely are psychological trends and cultural trends that are valid to examine. Don't get me wrong. But there's also a great deal of cynicism that is not healthy. That is not the best we can do. We are not being our best selves when we give into that cynicism, when we give into that self-absorption, we are not. We are just not. For me to affirm that, to affirm you in that, I would be eroding my capacity to function well as a husband and as a father, as a man. I don't know how you do it, they say. A part of how I do it is imperfectly, you bet, but by God's grace, I try to consider my wife. I try to serve my wife, not in a slavish, servile way, but in a dignified and authoritative way. I am my wife's head. I am in authority over my wife. I am in authority over my children. And half the reason why our culture is so confused about marriage and about parenting is because our culture is very confused about authority. I don't know how you do it. Well, I do it by telling my wife and my children, here's the game plan. Here's what we're doing. You have enough for a baseball team. Okay, cool. What does every baseball team have? It's got a coach. What does every soccer team have? It's got a team captain. What does every football team have? It's got a quarterback. All right, guys, here's the play. Here's what we're doing next. You do this, you go there, you go long, you come around this direction, watch for this. Hey, sport. You start putting it in those terms, and I think a lot of young guys would catch the vision. 
But again, order of operations, you kind of need to go back. You need to go back and start with in the beginning God. Because the doctrine of creation is foundational. And again, a lot of Christians who are content with one or two kids and then we're done, boy and a girl, we're done. They'll hear what I'm saying and they'll say, ah, you're being legalistic here. No, I'm not being legalistic. I'm trying to be a guard over my heart and a guard over my doctrine. I'm trying to have a good testimony before the Lord and before man. And I'm trying to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, not conformed to the pattern of this world. I've met many non-Christians who are happy to have one or two kids because that checks certain life boxes. It's on the bucket list. Or their girlfriend wants to have a baby. Not even necessarily wife anymore, which is sad. Or their wife wants to have another baby. And they want to keep their wife happy or their wife is nagging them to beat all. And so begrudgingly, they're going to have another child. But again, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it when you don't exercise authority in imitation of Christ within the framework of God's word over your wife. If you really shouldn't be having children because it's not safe, her health can't handle it, your health can't handle it, your finances can't handle it. God knows that. But if it literally cannot happen, it should not happen, and you have thought about this soberly before God, you've been diligent, not self-absorbed, not selfish, but because you want to honor God and because you want to honor your wife, you say, no, then that's what it is. But if it's selfishness on your part because you don't want something <clears throat> eating into your time hanging out weekly with the guys, going out for drinks with the guys, going and playing sports with the guys, watching football with the guys, playing video games, I don't know how you do it. You tell me you don't know how I do it. I don't know how you do it because that sounds pretty shallow. That sounds pretty unfulfilling, quite honestly. And I, I don't say that to mock. I don't say that to put anybody down. But I do say that to challenge you to see more meaning and purpose in life, to think longer term, to think bigger picture. Find a woman who you can lead and love before the Lord and take her as a wife. If she'll have you, you might have to talk her into it and love her well and serve her well and lead her well by God's grace, not in an oppressive way, in a heavy-handed way, in an understanding, in a wise way. Have some niños and some niñas. Have some children and train them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Exercise authority over your children. That's how you do it. That's how you have a big family. You exercise authority over your sons and your daughters. Hey guys, here's what we're doing. Yes, you have chores. And also, yes, 
by all means, play that game, read that book. Let's watch this movie. Let's go and do this thing together. Hey, come with me. I'm heading to the store. Hey, let's talk about life choices and attitude. Hey, let's talk about the way you're relating to your mom and your siblings and your schoolwork and your responsibilities and your hopes and dreams and aspirations. And what do you want to be when you grow up? And how can we support and encourage you in that? Exercise authority over your wife and your children. Men, that's how you do it. That's how it's done. And it's just like going to the gym. I used to be a personal fitness instructor in high school. That was my part-time job. You don't bring somebody in who is limp-wristed, weak. They've got a little bit of a gut. They've never worked out a day in their life. You don't bring that person in and throw them in with a deadlifting competition with some guys that have been working out for years regularly, day in, day out. I don't care if I want to. I'm not skipping leg day. That guy who works out in a disciplined way, day in, day out, all the time. Doesn't matter if he's sick. Doesn't matter if it's a holiday. Doesn't matter if it's a birthday. Doesn't matter if he's on vacation. He does not skip leg day. He does not skip leg day. (laughs) That guy has a different workout routine than the guy who's trying to get in shape and lose a little bit of weight or maybe put on a little bit of weight who needs to be able to open a jar of pickles for his wife. And the guy who needs to work out, you don't come in there like major pain, yelling at him, getting in his face, drill sergeant style. You say, hey guy, what's your goal? What do you want to do? You should have a better goal than losing weight, by the way. If your goal is just to lose weight, you could just stop eating and that would do it. Your goal should be to get healthy, to build a stronger body, to build a body that allows you to do the things that you want and need to do better, with less fatigue, with more mental acuity, more focus. So you say, all right, let me show you how this machine works. Let me show you these weights. And let me show you this exercise. And let me show you how to stretch properly. Let me show you how to warm up. Make sure you're staying hydrated. Make sure you're feeding your body what it needs in order to build strong muscles and bones and tendons and sinews. And here's how much you should work out to get started out. Make it a shorter workout just so long as you're doing it regularly, daily. Let's alternate muscle groups. This day you're going to do these muscle groups and then tomorrow you're going to let those muscle groups rest and you're going to work out this other set of muscles. And the next day you'll come back to that muscle group you rested the day before and you just go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth like that. And before you know it, you're going to be able to do more repetitions with more weight. You're going to be able to run faster for longer. You're going to get less winded. You're going to start finding, not only did you lose weight, but you put on muscle mass and you're stronger and you feel better. You feel more energetic. 
your mood has improved, your confidence has improved, you're a happier person, you're more of a joy to be around, you're more help to those who need help from you. It's the same with the order of operations for young men in our day. In the beginning, God. So first off, you need to attend to your theology. What do you believe about God? Is he the creator? Is he the Lord? Does he rule and reign? What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about man? Who are we? Why are we here? What are we supposed to be doing? What happened? How did we get to now? Let's do some history. Let's look at how we got here. And what to do about it now. Oh, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a helpmeet suitable for him. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Okay, cool. So I get my relationship with God right. I get my mind right. I understand myself in relation to God and creation according to God's word. Start taking seriously what God says about himself and about me and about life and other people. And who's that over there? Who's that? Foxy Sheila. Find a gal, by the way, who loves the Lord. Because otherwise, good luck leading her. Look at that gal over there. Look how she treats people. Look how she relates to God and others and herself and me. Will she marry me? I don't know. Go find out. Now you're married. She says yes. Okay, so what do we want to do about having kids? Okay, well, again, order of operations. What does God say about the purpose of marriage? What does God say about having children? And then you talk with her and you assess your options. And maybe what you say is, I'm going to work really hard to provide for our family so that we've got a roof over our heads by the grace of God, so we've got clothes on our backs by the grace of God, so we've got food on the table by the grace of God, so we've got transportation that's reliable, we can pay the utilities, cover our expenses, and we're going to do our duty And if the good Lord blesses us with children, then praise God. And let's be good stewards of those children. And let's raise them to love the Lord. Let's raise them to love one another. Let's raise them to relate to authority in a godly way, in an appropriate way, in a healthy way, in a way that can be blessed. And maybe if you do all of that in that order and you think along those lines, Maybe, just maybe, you'll find yourself with seven kids and an eighth on the way, homeschooling in Greeley, Colorado, or wherever. And maybe, just maybe, that's not such a bad place to be, even if people say, wow, that's crazy. Don't you know how that happens? I don't know how you do it. I've got two kids, and that's enough to keep us busy. Man, man alive, you guys have enough for a baseball team not the worst place to be. I'm not all that 
brokenhearted about it. But speaking of work, new associates, coworkers, the new job, the new routine, which I'm very much enjoying, by the way. Very, very excited. Very glad to be with the Eagle Automation team. I should go and get ready, get out the door. It's a Friday. Got work today, and then once we're... Once work is finished up for the day, I've got uh, music practice with Lucas Abernathy. need to hit him up. Hopefully, I can get off in a decent hour this afternoon. We'll uh, practice some music for Sunday. But on that note, as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.